Let's pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing, O Lord, in your sight. Amen. One of my absolute favorite pictures of my youngest, Piper, don't worry, I didn't put it up, was taken by my brother while the girls were visiting. He just happened to catch her making the most cartoonish, gremlin-like frown. What makes it hilarious is that the sign in the background said, choose joy. I have often found myself hearkening back to that most hilarious picture when I find myself feeling less than joyous about life's circumstances. It's a good image as we head into another Advent and Christmas season. Now that it's December, despite my railing against it, most radio stations and certainly every store has switched their playlist exclusively to the familiar holly jolly tunes of the season. Twinkling lights adorn houses down our streets and up our apartment buildings. Any day now, cards from our keenest of relatives and friends will start arriving in the mail featuring happy images and festive seasons greetings. Don't expect mine before January. It's like we hit December and the world says, right, it's happy time now. Get your happy pants on. There's a meme that comes around every year around this time that asked my mom what she wanted for Christmas this year, and she said, I don't have any gifts. I just want to know them. And I said, well, that's a pretty big ask, Susan. Can I just get you the air fryer and call it even? It goes, yeah, you can use that next year in your Tempest jokes. That's fine. It goes without saying that Christmas is an emotionally charged time when we feel many things deeply. Sometimes, all at once, and we just crawl back under our comforter in bed. Many of us experience emotional dissonance in the midst of joy-filled carols and festivities. We feel ourselves pressured even to uphold traditions that actually weigh us down and stress us out. Listen, I love a good tradition, but let's be honest, tradition can sometimes just be thinly veiled peer pressure from the dead. So, I'll let you chew on that for a second. Sometimes in the quiet or in our most private prayers, we find ourselves asking, how am I supposed to look and act joyful this season? when my heart is actually broken. Our series this Advent is called, How Does a Weary World Rejoice? The title is taken from a line in the familiar Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, which Jane knocks out of the park every Christmas Eve, so make sure you're here. It's a song that actually has an interesting backstory, and I'll give you just the truncated version. The text was originally written by a French poet, but he was also an atheist. And the music was supplied by a Jewish composer. The carol then traversed the Atlantic and was translated to English thanks to a 
Unitarian minister and musician. The song exploded in popularity among Christian abolitionists while the movement to outlaw slavery was picking up steam in the North. Consider its overly justice-focused language, such as in verse 3. Chains shall he break, for the slave is our brother, and in his name all oppression shall cease. Disappointingly, but not surprisingly, church authorities originally tried to have the song canceled because of its socialist leanings. Clearly, none of those authorities had read Mary's song, the Magnificat, in Luke 1. Like Mary's song, O Holy Night, reminds us that justice and joy belong together. Sometimes our joy is an act of resistance. And so this Advent, we will hold space for our weariness and for our joy. We will seek a thrill of hope even in the midst of our hurting world and our hurting lives. We will welcome joy, even and especially if, like the prophet Isaiah, we cry out for comfort. In this weary world, may we find many ways to rejoice, to welcome joy as an act of resistance to the hopelessness of this world. Sarah Speed, one of the founding creative partners of A Sanctified Art, the team of artists, theologians, liturgists who put together the series, referenced a poem she had written a few years ago titled, How Does a Weary World Rejoice? In it, she lists many seemingly mundane actions that fill our days. Stretching our bodies awake, looking at the night sky, making room on the subway, helping a neighbor on the street, and so on. In the last stanza of her poem, she concludes, how does a weary world rejoice? I would guess soul by soul and day by day. And if you ask me, I bet most of it counts. As Advent begins, we start by acknowledging the weariness, the grief, the rage and hopelessness that we carry. This is why we walk through the prophets for weeks upon weeks before we hit Advent. Because we acknowledge the weariness and the grief and the rage and the hopelessness of our forefathers of faith. And at the same time, we also affirm that we are made for joy. Joy is designed to live in a full house of other emotions. And so we start the season with Zechariah and Elizabeth. They have battled infertility and yet have lived many years steadfast in their faith. As someone who struggled with infertility herself, I can tell you with some certainty that they felt the weight of hopes and dreams unfulfilled. In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both of them were righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, but they had no children because Elizabeth was barren and both were getting on in years. It is so important to note that Luke gives us a bit of this backstory about Zach and Liz. First of all, they were a power couple. He was a priest and she was a PK, a pastor's kid. That is, she was descendant from a long line of religious 
anyone had their life in spiritual order, you'd assume it was those two, right? Then how come they were childless? Barrenness was often whispered about as a punishment from God, something that you'd think we'd be over by now, right? Thanks to things like science. But even today, people will hold out some sick belief that infertility is a reflection of spiritual health. I've told the story before of a well-meaning great aunt of mine, mother of five kids and an avid evangelical, who wrote me quite the letter about how my inability to get pregnant must be because I was harboring a secret sin. My doctor, also the mother of five children, less than politely disagreed with her. And I have Acadia and Piper. Luke makes a point of clearing the air that even though they were childless, they were both righteous before God, living blamelessly according to all the commandments and regulations of the Lord. Infertility was not and is not God's doing. If you or someone you know is struggling, please reassure them of this truth and that God grieves with them. So back to Luke. One day, while Zach was doing his thing in the temple, offering prayers and incense, the angel Gabriel appeared to him, and Zach was terrified. So a couple of thoughts here. First of all, if you've been around Knox for a minute, okay, make sure the slide person's paying attention. We're okay? All right, good. Uh, You know what's coming. Uh, If you've been around Knox for a minute, you know I make a point of showing you some renderings of biblically accurate angels. If you have a weak stomach, just know. Uh, They aren't the ones you see on Hallmark cards. They aren't just really good-looking humans with big wings. They look more like this. Biblically accurate angel. Or maybe this next one. Oh, yeah. If you look close, those ones are hiding their face. Those are the ones from Isaiah that are screaming, holy, holy, holy in the temple. It's nice. Just hold. So it's entirely logical each time you read that an angel appeared to someone in the scriptures and their first words are, do not be afraid, that fear is a logical response. Right? I'm, yeah, no, no. I'd be very afraid. Gabriel's message to Zechariah, thanks, slides. Gabriel's message to Zechariah is that his prayers, once he calms him down, his prayers have been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you will name him John. You will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. First off, I suspect that Zechariah stopped praying for that for a miracle child years ago. I mean, they were quite well on in age. Liz had likely hit menopause decades before this encounter. I suspect their desperate plea for a child had simply grown cold. Yet here's Gabriel assuring him, your prayer has been heard. There's a whole sermon in that one year, and I'll do it. I wonder what prayers in our own lives have gone stale or gone cold over the years. We all have one or two in our hearts. We just gave up asking. We gave up hoping. We gave up, but it turns out that God still heard us and God still answers. 
Zechariah answers Gabriel's incredible announcement with a question. How will I know that this is so? For I'm an old man, and my wife is getting on in years. Smart man, right? Like, I just love that. I love that so much. For I'm an old man, and my wife is getting on. She's 29 again. Now, I think that maybe Zechariah just caught Gabriel on a bad day. Because immediately following his question, Gabriel flies into, oh, that's a funny pun. Gabriel flies into, is that this? What's happening? Okay. Gabriel flies into a bit of a tantrum. He says, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I bring you this good news. But now, because you do not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time, you will become mute unable to speak until the day these things occur. Listen, I'm with Zach on this one. First of all, biologically, how is this possible? It's a fair question. Listen, I know it's shocking. I turned last week. Okay, I'll let you think about that for a second. While I... Okay. I turned 40 last week. And while I know that my sisters in Christ have been pregnant and had babies much older than I am now, I'm telling you, my body would not be happy about this. No thank you. I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. I think it's a fair question, though. Although consider that Mary asks a similar question when the angel tells her, a virgin, that she is going to conceive. How? And hey, let's go back in the scriptures because on more than one occasion, people have questioned how it's possible. Most notably, Abraham and Sarah hold that. So let's go back in scripture because on more than one occasion, people have questioned how it's possible. Most notably, Abraham and Sarah. They asked out loud and in the quiet of their hearts more than once. Sarah even laughed at the prospect of being on in years and having a baby. So why the harsh punishment for Zechariah? Well, here's my suspicion. If anyone should know the story of God bringing life out of barren wombs, it should be the priest. Zechariah should know this story. It isn't that he doesn't believe the angel. He doesn't believe the story. He isn't asking about the biology. He's asking for reassurance. Mary will ask, how is it possible? Zechariah asks, if it is possible. Do you hear the difference? One is a question of logistics. The other is a question of trust and faith. How much of our faith is caught up in the doubt of what God can do as opposed to asking how God will work through us to make the impossible possible. The angel comes to Zechariah with a promise of good news, but Zach can't fully receive it for reasons that, frankly, are quite understandable. Sometimes weariness just hardens us, okay? And it can prevent us from being open, from trusting, from believing, and from living fully. We've had hard journeys. Grief has left a deep scar on us. Despair and disappointment and hopelessness have taken up residence in our hearts. 
the first step in rejoicing, in finding our way back to joy, it's counterintuitive. The first step is actually just acknowledging our weariness. Saying it out loud, claiming it, giving it space to breathe and be. Don't try and fix it. Don't try and sweep it under the rug or shove it in the closet. Just say it and let it sit. What makes you weary right now? As Advent begins, ask yourself what weariness you carry in your body and soul. What does it look like for you to rejoice when you're weary? When have you welcomed joy while simultaneously feeling anxious, afraid, alone, sad, or overwhelmed? What does joy do in that space? We can be weary because of our age. We can be weary because of our waiting. We can be weary because we have faced the same routine for years and seemingly watched nothing change. We can be weary for various reasons. But must we stay weary? Can we exchange our weariness for hope? Is there a way to experience weariness and insist on the blessed hope that is to come? Welcome to Advent. How will I know that this is so, Zechariah asks, for I'm an old man and my wife is getting on in years. When we are weary, we tend to seek clarity instead of insisting on God's grace to provide for us during the weariness. Zechariah's question to Gabriel is directly aligned with this question of weariness and expectation of hope. If we get too caught up in our own needs for assurance and control, if we forget our story of faith that God keeps God's promises, then perhaps we would do well to be silent and spend more time listening to God and to the story of the people of God. We need time to be quiet so that we can remember. I'll close with this secret truth that's hidden in the story that we don't always catch. Does anyone know what Zechariah's name means? It means God remembers. God remembers. Zechariah clearly does not remember. He doesn't remember God's faithfulness across the ages and to individuals and families and communities and the world. He's going through the motions. He's living his best priest life. But deep down, he doesn't remember. He isn't fully convinced. Does that not ring a bell, folks? Is that not how so many of us are functioning going into the Advent and Christmas season? On the surface, it's all good, it's all holly and jolly, it's fine, I'm fine, everything is fine. But deep down, and if, if an angel showed up and scared the pants off you or off me, we'd likely find it hard to believe that the impossible is possible. You know the stories, but come on, this is real life, right? Thank goodness that God remembers in this divine pregnancy announcement, God remembers Zechariah's prayers for the opening of his wife's womb. God remembers Elizabeth's prayer for a child to fill her empty arms. God remembers the cries of the people living under oppressive Roman rule. God remembers the promises spoken through God's prophets like Isaiah that a shoot would come out of the apparently dead stump of Jesse's tree. 
God remembers the promise to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob that the whole world would be blessed and saved. Even though Zechariah didn't remember, God does. Today we gather at this table, Christ's table, to do what Jesus has invited his followers to do for thousands of years. Do this, what? In remembrance of me. Remember. God remembers. Even as we fall into the dissonance of the season, prisoners of our own weariness and hopelessness and exhaustion and fear and despair, we cling to the truth that God remembers. We are invited to remember. It is an act of resistance to remember, to grasp at the hem of hope and joy and to allow joy to take residence within us alongside our weariness. That's what we do in Advent. We acknowledge our weariness and we cling to hope and to joy and we do this by remembering. The poem prayer for this week will be our closing. She writes, over time, wind and water will sand down, over time, wind and water will sand down the edges of a stone. For humans, our wind and water is the grief of the world. Stay here long enough and pieces of you will be pressed upon by life's never-ending stream. It is enough to make you weary. It is enough to make you question. It is enough to make you quiet. And yet, the stream continues. So do not be afraid to stand in that water. Wade in, soak the hem of your jeans. Drip wet footprints through every room in your house. Let the water stains tell your story. And when your body grows weary of swimming, name the stream. Acknowledge your weariness. For eventually, you will pick flowers from the opposite bank. And over and over again, we'll tell this story. And over and over again, a weary world will rejoice. To God be all the glory. Amen.